You are listening to REPVPA, the semi-official, quasi-professional, locally sourced podcast of the Pioneer Valley Performing Arts Charter Public School. I am Austin, the librarian, and today we have a unique episode of REPVPA for you. If you are listening to this close to the date that it airs, you'll notice that one of the dates on the calendar coming up is March 13th, the day that, almost exactly a year ago, was the day, uh, last day of in-person school here at PVPA. So that's right. It's been a whole year now since PVPA has gone remote, and the COVID-19 pandemic has started to make its presence felt in our day-to-day lives. Well, we've all obviously seen this story unfold across the world, over the news, and in our own homes. I thought it might be appropriate to mark the occasion by having on some guests to the podcast to reflect on what the past year has meant for PVPA, both the experience of being remote and possibly what the future might hold. So with me today, I have seven special guests. In no particular order, we have Natalia. Oh, hi. Uh, I'm in 10th grade and I dance at school but want to quickly switch to playing guitar and singing. Fantastic. We also are joined by Jenica. Hey, y'all. Um, I am PVPA's restorative practice coordinator. Excellent. We also have on the, on this podcast, Tom. Hey, y'all. Uh, my name is Tom. I'm the technology director here at PVPA. Fantastic. We're also joined by Lua. Hi, my name is Lua. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm a senior. Excellent. We also have Emil. Yep, I'm Emil, and I am the ELA 11th and 12th grade elective teacher at PVPA. Oh, and I'm also the GSD um, like teacher facilitator. And we have Aaron. Um, I'm Aaron. I am a ninth grader here at PVPA. Excellent. And last but certainly not least, we're joined by Hosea. Heyo. I am the stu- one of the 10th grade student council reps. Um, I'm also a member of the Black Student Union. Um, hi. Excellent. So again, thank all of you. Thanks to all of you for being on the podcast. Uh, we're going to touch on a wide range of questions and various topics today. Um, But I want to start out with a very simple question. What do you remember from March 13th, one year ago? Whoever wants to answer first, that's fine. Okay, then I guess I'll answer first. I wasn't at school. (laughs) My last day was the 12th. And I didn't go on the 13th. And then I think I'm pretty sure Jose texted me and was like, hey, yo, we don't got school for two whole weeks. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> you're crazy. You're bugging. So I was really excited. So I had like one more day off, but then it turned into like over a year. So yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So during that time, I was still working in the main office. And I remember looking all over the news and then um, before we knew that we were going to close, other schools were closing in the area. Um, And so we were getting flooded with 
parent phone calls, like concerned saying, you know, this is getting really serious. Is PVPA going to close? Um, and, you know, we didn't really have any answers at that time until later that day when we had a all staff meeting um, and then heard the news. Um, and at that point, I was really just worried um, for where it was going to go. Um, I was really nervous. So I remember driving to school and on my way by, I passed the, one of the South Hadley elementary schools and there was like police cars and like maybe ambulances or fire trucks or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? That seems there's something bad going on there. And then I realized, oh, I wonder if they have cases of the virus. And then I remember um, going on their website at some point and seeing that apparently someone in South Hadley had gotten COVID-19. And so I was just kind of waiting for the for school to close. Um, I, I was expecting after seeing that South Hadley had closed that probably we would follow suit since we were also in South Hadley and a ton of other towns. Um, but I also remember our final open mic. Uh, we were all spaced out. So every other seat was empty and everyone was like, no, really take this seriously. You cannot sit next to your friends. And it was so strange because we'd already been sitting next to each other in class. But of course that makes sense. Um, and Ajika and Garrett did this like guitar and violin or fiddle duet as the final act. And I just remember thinking, you know what, if this is the last time that I go to school for junior year, that would be a nice note um, to end on. But I didn't expect that I still wouldn't be in the building now. Yeah, so um, adding on to what Lua was saying, the um, the last open mic with Ajika and Garrett, um, I was sitting in the audience, of course, and we were all like, yeah, we really don't have to sit. Um, six feet away from each other or a chair apart because like what difference is that going to make we're all crammed in a theater anyway and we'd spent the whole day speculating about what was happening what was going to happen and then we came outside and we were kind of in a like do we say goodbye in a sad way do we say goodbye in a see you on monday kind of way and then ajika ran out and said that while she was backstage packing up her stuff rahul had told her that school was out for two weeks and so she told us and then we immediately we were um really sad and but yeah it was a day fil filled with speculation and confusion so in a similar vein uh, i've got a question just for the students uh what was your initial reaction to school being out for two weeks because remember like i think we've all alluded to the fact now that it was just two weeks in the beginning so Aaron, what were what was the initial feeling about that um i was definitely really sad um which is ironic now um when i think about that but um yeah i was like i can't imagine i had just gotten the funny thing is i had just gotten back from um south india two weeks prior to this day and so i was just like finally settling in seeing everyone again and then i was like ah well two weeks that's that's rough um but then we immediately turned around we were like okay we're gonna see each other every day and me and a few of my friends we were like we're gonna keep working on all these things we were working on and then in two weeks we'll get right back into it so it was sad but also like it's only two weeks like we can do this not right away after the two weeks but like after or during the two weeks but after a couple of days i realized that this is gonna go on for much longer uh you know everyone was already starting to like post on social media about 
you know, just Trump's response to the coronavirus leading up to now. Um, and there was a healthy dose of nihilism from a lot of, uh, like, comedy shows. So I, I, had, I had felt like this was going to go on for much longer. Um, but initially, I was just taking it almost like a break. Like, everyone was kind of getting stressed around that time in my classes. A lot was going on. Um, and so everyone in my class, and especially myself, I, I felt like, wow, I finally get some reprieve. But as the days started getting further into those two weeks, I realized that reprieve was going to be much longer than just a break. Yeah, fair enough. Anyone else want to chime in? I'll answer. Um, when they, okay, because since I wasn't at school and Jose had told me that we didn't have school for like two weeks, I was happy. I could not, I was, because uh, like I was in ninth grade and it was, you know, the beginning of high school. I was overwhelmed with a lot of stuff and I was like, oh my God, no work. All right. Say no more. I'm out. And I was just really happy about that. And I didn't expect it to go longer. But I was I was still happy that it went longer anyways, because I did not want to go back to school. Kind of in the same vein as Natalia. I was like, two-week vacation, getting a break from all my classes. I can take this. This is going to be fun. Um, of course, once we actually were no, no longer in school, I kind of anticipated that... It, we weren't going to go back to the school that year. Um, so I was just kind of preparing for the long haul. Um, I decided to like really get into routines. So I was working on my writing a lot. I was like making sure that I was exercising. And I don't know, I got very into like, just because school isn't a thing doesn't mean that I'm not going to try to I don't know, have some kind of rhythm to each of my day. So I still woke up at the same time that I usually did. Um, like Hosea, I was watching a lot of the comedy shows when Stephen Colbert um, did a late show from uh, his bathtub. That was really funny. I think around that time, um, John Oliver started looking for a weird rat painting. This might have been a, a little bit later than two weeks, um, but I sent in some fan art and it ended up show being on his show a little bit later. So there were definitely some highlights to the pandemic for me, um, especially in the beginning Although it was really weird to see my friends that I had seen in school like a week ago and then not being able to hug them and having to be six feet apart. Um, so that was a little bit strange. That's true. A lot of the status quo changes that happened like shortly after, those those were very wild. And I everyone started to, you know, play them off as a joke when they were first starting to be laid out. But yeah. I just, it's almost disorienting looking back at like the beginning of quarantine and looking at now, seeing how much like routines, behavior, and just the perception of the quarantine has changed. Also throwback to when we didn't have to wear masks, when that was a thing. It's so weird to think of going into a store and not wearing a mask or a face covering or something. Was that a thing? I can't remember. It took a couple of, like, months or something, right, for the CDC to say that we needed to wear some kind of face covering. Like, there were some people, I think, who intuitively did that. 
but it wasn't a an official thing for a little bit. Yeah, but now it's old hat. Like we watch movies and it's like, huh? Like what are they doing in public in the park, walking their dogs? How dare they? Or like you see people on the street and you're like, social distance, please. Please help us all. All right. Um, so how about uh, the teachers and administrators? So schools let out for two weeks. Um, students are having one reaction. What is your reaction? Like, what is your what is your reaction? What is your first priority, you know, sort of as authority figures in the school? I think my first priority was to manage my anxiety on a personal level, as well as try to figure out what was happening, like what was going, where this was going. Um, I tend to do a lot of like positive spinning on things. So I would notice that I would get really anxious and then I'd be like, but everything's going to be fine. This is, we're going to go back to, to normal in two weeks. Um, the, yeah, the optimist in me was really trying to squash my anxiety. So there's a little inner battle there going on. Um, but I would also say trying to figure out how to interrupt just looking at the news every minute, you know, how to, to occupy myself. Uh, a lot of that, I did a lot of food shopping, food hoarding, um, and lots and lots of walking in the woods behind my house. Um, I remember definitely sort of trying immediately to get into a routine of like within the absence of the routine of going to school, like how do I fill my time? Um, so I found myself being like, all right, yoga in the morning, walk my dog, you know, do some writing. I started talking to my to my mom in Arkansas every day, um, which was also kind of a positive way to 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 reach out and communicate and also like manage my own just yeah, anxiety. I think there was a lot of unknown in the beginning. Um, and it was crazy because, um, you know, leading up to us closing, I remember um, going to like the CVS um, down the road and trying to find Lysol wipes and like hand sanitizer because I was following the news pretty closely um, before we actually closed. And I walked in and asked the cashier, I was like, you know, do you have any of these items? And um, the woman was like, yeah, you know, we might have one or two like on the shelf, but they're selling out like crazy. And I was just like, I remember walking through CVS being like, what is happening right now? Um, like, do I have to get ready, ready for the zombie apocalypse? Like what? Like, and then, um, you know, after we closed, um, you know, my top priority just turned into um, keeping myself and my family safe and staying healthy. And um, then ugh, we heard about the toilet paper shortage and I was freaking out. And like, I'm one of those people that already has gallons and gallons of like cleaning products and toilet paper and paper towels, um, at my house. But, um, you know, it did really cause a panic. And, um, you know, I remember going to BJ's with my wife and there just being like nothing on the shelves. I remember the day we closed, like I was, you know, we were jokingly talking about in the office, 
um, making a survival plan. (laughs) And I like made an emergency procedure folder and it had like all of these things about how to like stay safe and how, like how to, um, put plastic on your like doors and windows to like keep contagions out and all this stuff. And I just remember seeing like end of days videos of how to survive in a time like this um, because folks didn't know how crazy it was going to get, how bad it was going to get. I remember, Jenica, I remember sitting in the front office, not even, maybe it was the Friday, maybe it was the day before, maybe it was the 12th, but talking about Instacart, uh, talking about how, because I actually, I think the toilet paper shortages had already started. I think I remember telling you and a couple other people, like my wife actually had to go to WB Mason to get toilet paper because you couldn't get it from any of the yeah, stores in our that. area. So yeah, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. It was wild. Um, I, and at the end of the day, you know, like I was just really focused and on and worried about um, how I was going to get food. And, um, you know, I remember going to the grocery store a few times to try to just find different things and, um, there was an individual in front of, um, myself, my wife, and then a woman that was, um, in, in front of us. So we were there, then a woman was in front of us and then another individual was, um, in front of, in front of her. And, um, this woman, um, or the individual had like packs and packs of water and like gallons of water. There was like so much water on this conveyor belt to like be scanned in. And the woman in front of me just like looked over at me and she was like, if we run out of clean water to drink, then we have a lot larger issues than trying to stock up on all of this stuff. Right. Like we're going to run into a lot of issues. Um, and that was so impactful for me. And I've reflected on that moment, um, quite some time for, you know, quite amount of times, um, you know, since, since then, um, she was absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. There was a period where it certainly felt like the world was almost ending, but then at the same time, like, I feel like a lot of, a lot of media was talking about how ridiculous it all seemed. And how a lot of, like, those sort of anxious behaviors just, like, piled on top of each other. Because I even remember when uh, when that all, like, first came out and everyone was, like, tumbling over each other to get, like, toilet paper and stuff like that. Um, I remember my mom being, like, a step ahead. <laughs> and she was getting, like, instead of uh, paper towels, she was getting, like, these industrial... Uh, towels for both like being a mask filter but also uh being able to wipe up messes and then like instead of getting soap uh she was getting these reusable soap pods crazy almost the uh automatic survivalist mode that everyone went into i actually had to uh i actually had to make my own dishwasher detergent uh, because we couldn't get any dishwasher pods or liquid or anything like that for our, our dishwasher. So we actually had to look it up online. Unfortunately, we had all the ingredients we needed to in the house, but that was a, that was a unique experience that, uh, you know, we, 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 it, it definitely, I think there was, it was a, there were surreal moments there in the, in the beginning where 
we had this sense of hope, like maybe this was going to make some like deep, almost like spiritual change in our society, like the commercialism and the materialism and all of those aspects that we would appreciate so much more the little things. And it really, there was a lot of promise and a lot of hope I felt in, in that period of time. But um, I, you know, I think we experienced so much other tumultuous stuff over the last year that those hopes kind of got dashed a little bit, unfortunately, I think. Yeah, almost surreal in some way. Like, you know, just thinking on that and, you know, sort of thinking, you know, back to like spring semester of PBPA, like I know personally speaking, like that was a very, like spring was a very surreal time. Um, you know, it's a, a very, yeah, it's almost in my memory a blur. So I want to ask you guys, like, does anyone have something that stuck out to them about spring semester? I do. Um, uh, I never went to class because <laughs> it was like rushed. Like to, it was like it was kind of rushed to like for us to have like like classes and they were trying to figure it out and all of that. And I was like, I'm really not trying to go to class because like that at that time, like my anxiety was peaked with all of that because I couldn't talk to other people on the phone other than my friends. And I just couldn't be in class for like how many hours of the day, like three hours or something. I don't know how much it was back then. But I remember that in spring, I never went to class and one of my teachers, am I allowed to say names? Uh, depends on how you want to say it. <laughs> Oh, well, my teacher Shannon was always like, go to class and tell you, go to class and tell you, but I didn't want to go to class. So it was the whole entire spring semester of me and her going back and forth. And I never went to class. So. And you go to class now. Luckily, she does. Huh? Yeah, no, of course I do. I do class. I have a 3.2 GPA right now. Yeah, it's a very big turnaround. And. Anyways, uh, the other thing, um, in contrast to that, I went to all my classes. I have kind of the breathing down my back of my parents at that point, although things have become a lot more lax, um, but also a lot more difficult just in terms of mental health. So, uh, But at the beginning, spring semester felt so disorienting because... And this isn't a diss on the teachers. The teachers were trying their best. Um, but it was horrible, education-wise. Like, the entirety of spring semester did not go that well. But what I really did uh, recognize, though, is that students were, like, all students were really trying their best to help the teachers and tr try and do, try like, the students who were going to class, they are trying their best to um, interact with the teachers to give them support so that we could get our education in return. I feel like people were recognizing that things were really rough, especially for educators and, you know, industries that weren't in some way already digital. So people had to adjust like everything. And I was very surprised to see how well the, the community responded to that. Um, but even still, education was very rough. And I feel like I honestly unlearned a lot. And... Uh, you know, some of my classes that did carry over, where that, that's not a lot comparatively. I dropped quite a few classes. They changed and went from, you know, environmental science to biology and, and stuff like that. But for the classes like 
I won't be too specific, but some of my classes that are the same as last year, um, I'm having a hard time in them because of all that. Um, what stuck out stuck out to me probably the most about spring semester was um, kind of meeting students in like a new setting. Like, okay, here we are. We're at home now. Um, we're in the comforts of our own home getting through this together. But what that allowed was just like, as an, at that point, I was also an academic support teacher. So um, work, I was really used to working one-to-one with students, but like what that meant to show up, you know, let's look like in our own homes and to kind of like, I don't know, adventure down like a new sort of more personal avenue of like the student teacher relationship, um, which I thought was really cool. Um, just seeing what's going on with people um, in the everyday. And I know that for some people, some teachers, that was like really hard because it was like, oh, you're in your room and you're distracted by this. But I actually found it to be kind of like, I don't know, to create deeper connections um, and to like just, you know, put put kind of a, I don't know, a more personal spin on what we were already doing. Um, and so that really stood out to me. Um, I, I would say, you know, the spring semester, uh, for me, there, there was a lot of frustration. And uh, I think Jenica alluded to some of it already, that there was just a lot of ambiguity, a lot of uncertainty. This, the state didn't know what they wanted to expect. There's all of these expectations on schools, you know, MCAPs, tests. Where are we going to have to do MCAPs? Where are we going to have to do, you know, how are we going to be doing uh, accountability for kids? How are we going to make sure that all of the kids are, you know, um, are able to participate in school, right? The, the issues, uh, Austin, you kind of said before, like, what was the first reaction, right? Like, what were the first priorities? I think a question that you asked before that kind of slid under the, the radar. And like, for me personally, like the number one priority was, I knew right away as soon as we were shutting down, that it was not going to be for two weeks. And so then immediately was like, so how the hell do we have school? when everybody can't be in the building. So it's gonna be technology. and How do we get stuff in kids' hands? And honestly, it was like more than I could handle by myself. You know, being a one person technology committee, it's just really difficult. It was impossible. So we had a great team of people that supported me with that. Everyone from in the front office with Jenica and Wendy and um, Amanda and John Coolis was just indispensable all throughout this and continues to be throughout this whole thing. So, you know, it was, a, it was a team of people that kind of really started to figure out who needs what and how are we going to make sure we get the right things into people's hands. Um, and we, you know, and yeah, it's what Jose said, it's totally true. Like the, 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 we weren't prepared for it, right? The, the staff wasn't prepared. Our, a lot of our teachers didn't have the strong enough background in the technology to be able to shift to an online experience. Um, and one of the biggest things for me through the whole spring semester was seeing people come to the realization that um, there's a there's a myth that people like to perpetuate that uh, the students, the kids today, because they grow up in the era of technology and because they grow up with things like telephones and, and tablets in their hands, that they just are so much better with the technology than their, uh, the adults. And what we found is that students struggled just as much if not more so with some of the technology than the adults did in the spring semester. This wasn't a one-sided, the teachers didn't know how to use the technology. 
um, we had technology issues for every single person, which really underscored, you know, uh, the need for more support across the board with students with that. And so then once we got out of the how do we make sure everybody has what they need, then it shifted near the end of the spring semester to, okay, what's next year going to look like? Are we going to be back in person? If we're not back in person, how are we going to make sure we're ready? What tools do we need? What equipment do we need? Um, and then uh, how are we going to make sure that teachers get what they need over the summer to prepare and be ready for school? So there was a lot going on, but there was also a lot of frustration because the school, I remember we were ready. We wanted to jump into like having school and holding kids accountable, but the state was saying, just review material you've already covered. Don't teach new material yet. Don't jump forward because of the equity issues involved. And so it felt like the school was sitting on its hands, but it's really because we, we were ready to move, but it's because we were being asked to hold back that everything just felt like it stagnated and took a really long time to get going. And I think the inertia was just lost and never regained until we started this school year. So, but I do also think from the biggest standout from the spring semester was how hard every single person at the school worked to try to make school continue and make the experience continue for kids through the spring semester. Teachers really stepped and innovated and, and experimented and tried out a lot of new things. And then we had a lot of good opportunity to talk it over and really build off of that plan for this school year and build off the best things the teachers did in the, in the spring. So it was, and the nice thing was, because the state said like we can't fail kids uh, who you know are you know doing what they you know because of all of these issues we can't just flat out just say kids can't get credit because they were struggling or because they weren't able to to get into classes so it also freed teachers a lot more to feel like they could innovate more without feeling the pressure of having to make sure everybody was was being 100% successful and I think that was an important. Yeah, and what people what people don't um, know is that like I know for me I was in working groups all summer with senior admin and other folks like talking about like tech equity and like how that's gonna look and what resources some students need because as we all know like some students don't have like a work from home conducive environment um or a supportive environment to like help them succeed in this already very difficult um you know time and so you know there was a lot of work over the summer that was put into that we did a lot of research we were following trends we were looking into other school districts to see how they were doing things or what they were proposing um looking at other countries even to see like what they were doing um because you know, we were so behind the ball just as a nation on what to do and how to do it correctly. Um, and then we had two weeks of professional development <laughs> where we connected and figured out how we were going to do this. And I remember Austin and Tom, you, you guys, you know, like we're working so hard to create, you know, promotional videos and teaching teachers how to like run their remote classroom. And, um, you know, there was just so much work and intention put into making this year in particular successful. And, you know, um, we're in a much better position now than we were, but we're absolutely still learning. 
every step of the way. Might seem appropriate for a school in some ways. But before we got to this year, we had to go through the summer. So I, I'm curious about you guys, like, what was your summer experiences? You know, because I know, I think a lot of the staff, or at least I do, you know, we hit summer with kind of the sense of relief as a chance to like regroup and figure things out. Um, but I'm curious, like, what is what was your summer like? I mean, I can, I didn't really do anything. I did for my birthday. My birthday isn't in the summer, but it's leading to the summer. It's in April. Um, I was like, okay, then I could probably start skateboarding more, but my grandfather did not want me going out whatsoever, as if the air had Rona. Like, no, it's not. I'll be wearing a mask and I won't be near anybody because I'll be just riding around my block. It's not gonna... Nobody's there. No one's usually there. So... My summer was just that, and I also got a guitar, so I started playing, practicing with that, but literally nothing happened, and the most eventful thing that happened was Hosea came over to my house. Out, We were outside hanging out along with my um, other cousin. My um, We were just painting outside because he bought his paint stuff, and then we walked to uh, Mr. Cone and got ice cream. But that 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 was about it for my summer. I didn't really do anything. Yeah, that was before the concept of like pod buddies existed. So we were we, we only really hung out with like each other. Um, there were like one or two more times I saw Natalia, but uh, yeah, I had only really hung out with like two people. My mother was very on the ball when it came to, uh, you know. But the summer. I feel like I took the summer for granted in many ways, Be- just now, looking at it now, because even though there was, you know, the concept of social distancing, masks, and all that, I still could go places, re- like, relatively. Um, not that I couldn't, like, get in a car with my parents and drive somewhere, but, like, in terms of the freedoms in my own house that I have to go places, uh, at least I could, you know organize hanging out with people or organize going somewhere with my family uh and now with like the added thing of like homework and demotivation stress and then piling on work at least for me um it's almost like impossible to hang out with someone without also knowing like wow i have responsibilities that are weighing me down that i have to attend to but it almost feels like every day I have the same set of responsibilities. So I feel like even though there are definitely a lot of status quo similarities between the summer and uh, now, it was a lot more free, both in part due to school, but also just the amount of responsibilities that you have like during the, the fall, springtime, compared to the summer. I can definitely say some things about summer. I was like gearing up to ride my bike across France um, with some friends, a friend who was living in Paris. And I was like, I mean, the plane tickets were bought. The route was all, it was like, we were going through the Alps into down to the Mediterranean. Um, and so, you know, became pretty clear that that wasn't going to happen. Um, and so I'm definitely just an adventurer, especially like I always tease, I'm always like kind of joking and saying 
that the reason I teach is for the summers, um, which of course that's only one small reason, but I've, you know, the adventures of the summer highlight of my year. So had to do something. Um, so we got into a car and we drove to Arkansas, um, which was, you know, its own sort of adventure. Um, I just remember kind of like crossing over the into Pennsylvania and then like over the Mason-Dixon. And I was like, well, nobody's wearing masks here. Um, but, you know, we basically camped the whole way. We like didn't, I don't even think we went in and like used a public restroom for like most of the um, whole drive down. And then we got to my family's where like they had all quarantined and, and everything. And I, I just, it was really stood out to me because it was what sounds like such a drastic downer in comparison to biking through the Alps into the Mediterranean was actually really fun um, and not to be forgotten. So that definitely stood out to me. Um, also, I should say that this, yeah, for the summer I was, um, you know, switching gears into a new teaching position at, at PVPA. So I spent a ton of time over the summer preparing my curriculum for four classes, um, which was really fun. To be honest, I think the classes are really fun. So it's, yeah, the hard work paid off. Yeah, fair enough. So this one is for the students um, after the summer. Uh, since obviously we didn't quite have a super clear picture of what school might be like when fall came around, um, I'm curious, what are some of the hopes you had for the fall semester? I was just hoping that our teachers would be easy on us and my anxiety would like pass. Like I would become more comfortable with being online because I wanted to get my grades up because I did plan, I do still plan to go to college and I was starting my sophomore year. So I was like, well, this is where they like start looking at stuff. So I should work harder. And I had Shannon help me with that. So I'm very grateful to her, but, and, and it just, it did, it did, it did work out in a way, like it was slow at first and now it's getting better, like from, like the, from after Paideia. For me, I was really nervous about um, the, like having to be in front of a computer for hours on end, because during the spring semester, I ended up burning myself out a little bit with like meetings back to back from like 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And I was like, I cannot be in front of the um, in front of the computer for that long. Uh, but it ended up working nicely because I also wanted more time to apply for colleges since I didn't get to tour that many schools. I ended up applying to more schools. Um, so I just got a lot of studies um, and then I was just very intentional about um, what classes I wanted to take. And I like hoped that the scheduling gods would be kind to me since senior year was already going to be rough um, for a lot of other reasons. And I ended up having an awesome fall semester with some classes that I really liked um, and teachers that I really enjoy enjoyed getting to see, even if it was virtual. Oh, that's really cool. Um, so talking about expectations for the fall of 2020, I mean, I was really holding on to the hope that it was going to be at least partially in person, um, which, I mean, up until a certain point didn't seem like that that um, 
impossible of a hope. But then when I it started getting getting closer, and I realized that no, that really wasn't going to happen. It, um, I yeah, I was I was upset, and um, I think my biggest hope was that something theater related was going to be able to happen at some point because I was like, I need theater. This is so long to go without anything theater related, and now of course things are happening, and I'm very happy about that. But that was yeah, that was my biggest hope. Um, but yeah, I, it, the summer was full of like back and forth of like, I don't know what's going to happen and I want this to happen. I don't know if it will. Um, yeah. You know, nearing the end of the fall, I started to realize that I would have to make like sizable changes <laughs> um, coming into it. Because um, like by then, all the news had struck about, you know, the coronavirus, really getting to understand it, um, what that would imply for schools. And while like the setup of school was still uncertain, I knew that a lot of things would be changing. And so I made like the decision to leave uh, WOFA for that uh, year, which was very tough because, you know, I really love WOFA. And honestly, when it was in person, the African drum and dance group, it was like literally the highlight of each of my days even when you know things might have been like dramatic near tech week or stuff like that we were still discussing trying to have productive conversations and honestly just having kind of like b-school as a role model um makes my day better but once it started to get closer and closer to quarantine or to like quarantine 10th grade i realized well you know, I want to have my classes, and if we're not going to be able to do any, like, live shows, live performances, um, I might just do that for my academics, um, but, yeah, the one thing I was primarily hoping, in more of a positive aspect, was that, um, since I was getting into the student council, I could hopefully do something to, uh, help like the setup of school and help how uh, students sort of interact with it during their time in quarantine so it wouldn't be as hard. Um, and I wish I wish I could say that I did uh, as good of a job as I hoped to, but honestly, both being a part of student council but also like the board meetings, things change much slower at PVPA than I thought. And learning that lesson really takes me aback and makes me recognize why, like, some student council members really try and stay on for, like, multiple years beyond just some sort of system of favoritism. It's like, you want to be able to change something, but actually being able to change something at this school takes a while. In any organization, that's true. Like, things turn slowly. All right, so let's... uh persevere here uh, with the next question. Um, and noticeably, one one question I'm not going to ask people are how their semesters are going, because I think that's way too immediate for all of us, and the answer is probably very complicated. Um, but I will ask you all, um, can you name either one unexpected challenge or one unexpected joy that you've experienced during remote learning? I have an unexpected joy that was really exciting. 
Um, so ever since about like fourth grade, I was volunteering and then later started working at the TDS Center for Communication and Social Learning in different social groups um, with people with different abilities to just like hang out and do activities and work on social skills. And it was really fun. But when because PVPA ended so late, I wasn't able to like work regularly or so I would just go to certain events or I would work during the summer when I wasn't visiting family in Brazil. Um, and so when virtual social groups started up, um, I was actually able to show up to groups and be a part of that. Um, and I still am doing that. Um, and it's just one of the highlights of my week is just being able to go to work um, and being able to see people that normally I wouldn't be able to see. Uh, I have both an unexpected challenge and an unexpected joy. Um, a challenge is I have never been the type of person to be bored by school and, or like to be uninterested by what I'm learning. And this year has been, it's been difficult to get me to like show up and like focus on classes purely because they're remote, not because the subject matter is any less interesting than it used to be. Um, and that has been challenging for me to try to like get myself to not to like find ways to not be bored by remote learning. Um, okay. So yeah, unexpected joy, um, is the virtual devised musical that's happening right now. I joined it and I was like, how's this going to work? We're writing a musical with 20 people online and it has been such a blast so far, um, it has been the most fun I've had in a really long time. And um, yeah, yeah, that has been my biggest joy this semester. So wait, is that like a class going on now? Yes, uh, it is D-Block class. Lua and I are both involved in it, along with a bunch of other people. We wrote, over Paideia, we wrote a two-act musical. It's, uh, the script right now has 108 pages. Um, we're putting last finishing touches on it tonight and, um, it's called girl from Mars and we're starting to move into rehearsals. Um, yeah, it's been amazing. It's really a reminder of like the good old days of PVPA and just, I, I feel like, especially with the pandemic and even with, you know, all of the, the drama that's happened at PVPA for a while, it was nice to be reminded of like the, the creative school spirit that um, exists at PVPA. Um, so that was really fun. Hmm. Well, I think the class might be looking for a po at a podcast invite coming in the future to talk about that process. Uh, but for now, uh, Jenica, what are your thoughts? I think two joys that I've discovered throughout this time um, were number one, like the ability... I think we all learned that we all have some capacity and ability to um, work from home. Um, I think across the board, like it's been really nice for folks to um, become closer to their live-in family um, and to spend that time, even though I know too much time with someone will be a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I don't know, I've just really enjoyed having more of, you know, more flexibility to work from home, 
um, and to keep myself safe, to keep my family safe, um, while also realizing that not many folks um, have that luxury and um, that there are also folks who, you know, like it's not safe for them to be at home. So, um, you know, just that, that's been a personal joy for me. And I know a privilege that I've, I've been able to have during this time. Um, and there was going to be one more thing that I was going to say, but I'm not remembering what the second joy was now that I think about it. All right. And we, we can, <laughs> we can come back to you. Uh, but that, that's interesting because uh, you say that because that, that's been a joy for me as well. And especially in the fact that I think I now actually like my cat. So like there, there's, uh, there, there's upsides to, to, to everything. Um, anyone else want to weigh in? Okay. I feel like these are one in the same, that the unexpected challenge is also the unexpected joy. And that would be that the challenge we are all at home, essentially alone, um, or with people that we see constantly that we would try, we're all looking for an escape in many ways, um, and looking for some kind of connection or inspiration. So I think that while that's challenging, it is also brings a joy to the remote classroom experience because, um, especially with, with, um, English language, ELA, like we are trying to, we're discussing and we're new ideas and talking. So much of it is about um, connecting to the work and finding inspiration. And then like, how do we connect from the world of this short story to our own world? And it's a joy because I feel like many of us are just really hungry for that connection and, and trying to, to, you know, while it's, kind of nerve wracking to unmute. I, 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 I never have a silent class. I was listening to a, um, an, a podcast at the daily, the New York times show and just like teachers talking about nobody responding to them and nobody, um, you know, participating. And I just haven't really found that in my classes this, this term, this year. And so much of it, I think is just that need to connect in that like hunger for sharing ideas. So that's been a, a joy and a challenge. Yeah. And the second thing um, that I found to be a joy uh, was the fact that I got so much stuff done um, while I was working at home because I could really manage my time a lot better. I would say, you know, like, okay, I'm going to work from this time to this time on this day. And then I'm going to take my lunch break, which I never did like in person, never took a lunch break. And I'm, I can, I know during that time I can eat and get these things done um, around the house. Um, and, you know, I didn't have, you know, I have a 45 minute commute to work. So I didn't have almost a two hour commute um, every day. I was just home. So I got to really utilize and take take advantage of that, that extra time um, that I wouldn't or don't normally have um, to get things done. Like, you know, my wife and I did a lot of landscaping and did things around the house and little projects that we've wanted to do since we moved in, but haven't had time. Um, and it also pushed me to network with people in a different way. So I guess that's the third thing. Um, you know, I, I was able to 
have more flexible time to do things that I'm passionate about. Um, you know, I started crafting more and, um, I started networking with different boards in the area as well as joining the PVPA's board of trustees. And, um, a lot of things happened that just connected me to people in different way because in different ways, because we have this new connection of utilizing, um, the internet and zoom and Google meets and email in a way that we didn't before. Um, so, um, I don't have any challenges. Well, challenge was keeping my mental health in check, even though it's always been unstable, but keeping that more in check, it was just really hard because I couldn't get out of bed and stuff and I still kind of can't, but I'm okay now. But a joy is that I got to do a lot of more, a lot more of my hobbies that I like. Like, I like watching anime, and I got to watch more of that, and I got, I started, like, new hobbies, like, my grandma did, like, crafting and stuff, and I just decided to join her as well, and I started painting and stuff, so, like, you know, I got new hobbies. That's fantastic, and actually, that's a great uh, segue into our final question, which doesn't actually come from me. It comes from members of the community. Um, I sent out a poll asking um, what more lighthearted quarantine or remote learning topic uh, people might want to hear us talk about. Um, and this is what they chose. What is one new quarantine hobby that you found? So I'm going to get everyone a chance to answer. So let's just go around Um and Natalia, do you want to start and talk about painting or something, something you found? Yeah, I can start about like with painting. Um, so I started like, okay, um, I don't just paint. I, cause I can't draw. So, and I also like anime. So I take paper and I put it on my laptop um, and I trace the anime characters from like through the paper, you know? And then I like get the right colors from the paint and the shading and all of that. And I paint it and I put, I cut them out and I put them on a canvas that's already been painted prehand, pre like before. Um, and then I gave them out to my friends. I still have one that's sitting out for my friends for Christmas <laughs> and we haven't been able to see each other yet. So yeah, that, but, and another hobby that I didn't get into not yet only because it's expensive is um cosplay and cosplay is a thing where you just dress up as your favorite characters especially in the anime community it's pretty big and video games even though i don't have money for video games i have minecraft and five nights at freddy's since i got a new um, nintendo switch so I got into more of that and started playing with my friends like Hosea. Um, actually, Natalia, that's kind of funny because I was also really into Minecraft um, and my friend created a realm. But the problem is that the computer that I use um, is like was from fifth or sixth grade. So I started getting like a 10 second lag and had to stop playing. Um, but my main quarantine hobby was just writing more um because i had all this free time i was like oh i'm actually gonna finish edi editing the manuscript of my novel that i wrote for national novel writing month in sophomore my sophomore year um so i made like this big wall of editing 
on my um, bedroom wall and like did an outline and had color coded sticky notes. Um, and so I did the National Novel Writing Month extra challenge in April and got a lot more editing done. Um, so I was actually able to finish uh, a final draft of my novel. And then for National Novel Writing Month this past year, I wrote a first draft of a play. Um, and it was the first time that I'd tackled a, um, a like major project in English and Portuguese, which is really exciting. Um, and I was writing about the 2018 Brazilian presidential elections while experiencing the aftermath of the 2020 U.S. presidential elections. Um, so that was just a really interesting contrast. Um, yeah, and I've got to do a lot more creative writing, um, find a little virtual writing community. Um, that's kind of what I've been obsessively doing during um, the pandemic. That is really cool. I can't say I, I'm engaging in too many new hobbies just because uh, I'm a person who indulges in many different forms of art. And most of, I guess I can say most of my hobbies include art, not so much things like collection um, or stuff like that. But um, I will say something that I have been trying, <laughs> keyword trying to do, that is new is implementing a more rigid schedule, um, although that's proving much harder, and I guess that kind of intertwines with the previous question about um, an unexpected challenge, but, like, my ability to focus and motivate myself uh, during the quarantine has been, like, cut short, even shorter than it was, you know, in in-person school. Um, but, you know... I, I look back and I think about the sort of structure I gained from having, having like classes, having, you know, afternoon uh, responsibilities and like engagements and stuff like that. And some parts I, I have to say, those were the things that kind of kept me going. Other parts of it, I can say that I'm glad that I've been given the chance to be able to reorganize them. Um, like for example, like p my piano lessons, I've uh, or um, say being able to look into other forms of uh, lessons, like heck, even animation lessons. Um, I can look towards you know new things to put into my afternoon schedule and schedule myself. But scheduling just even like my day to day tasks and taking care of myself has become much harder than it already was with like you know living in a in a school system in a society that isn't really built for people like me like neurodiverse people um and just in more general people with depression so it's 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 both exciting and hard trying to schedule myself keeping a, a regular schedule sometimes some ways a full-time job I wish I got paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> so in some key ways it is not like a full-time job. <laughs> Personally, all of the, like, I just definitely be getting out in nature so much last spring, I more than ever was able to just like really relish the, like the change of season um, and seeing that as a real, um, that was like kind of my only form of entertainment in a way. It was like just watching the forest come to life. Um so I, I watched some owls like basically like find a nest and like 
have some babies and then like uh, I had an amazing moment where I like was walking and came, I was like, there's one owl. No, there's two. Wait, there's three. No, there's five. And there was like five owls just like in the trees above me. Um, it was beautiful. I love owls. They're great. Um, and definitely living near these woods, there's just a vibrant community of birds um, all over. Actually, all kinds of wildlife. But um, after my encounter with the with the five owls watching me, um, I considered it an omen. I was like, I think I need to get into bird watching a little bit. And so I have certainly like started a list um, and have got some binoculars and I'm doing some good old fashioned bird watching. Um, and there's a lot to see around here. So uh, bird watching is a random hobby. Hobby. I would also say cooking. I already love to cook, but it like got elevated to the next level. Um, I would call it like borderline obsession being like, what are we going to have tonight? And, um, for a while there, I was steadily like being a, sh- sh- a chef. I was taking on culinary adventures left and right. Better man than I am. <laughs> yeah. I helped my brother make bagels once. That's the yeah, height of my quarantine like, cooking. You eat cucumbers, Austin, raw. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I don't see what people find weird about that, but... <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even saying it's weird. It's just a certain taste. You don't need cooked food. You just need raw cucumbers. Yep, this is very true. Though I have been cooking a little bit. My brother introduced me to uh, a cookbook uh, that I've been making recipes out of, um, and it's been it's been it's been kind of fun. Um, but you know, I don't know. Cook, cooking doesn't do it for me. Like, yeah. I'm I, I'm more like the Swedish chef from the Muppets. I'm just like making a huge mess and like singing and listening to music loud. Like especially like I'll just listen to metal and like cook, you know, a three course meal. So Aaron, do you have have a new quarantine hobby? I a lot of the stuff that I've been doing during quarantine has been stuff that I did before, um, but continue to do. Um, like I'm working on, uh, I, well, I wrote, I would continued writing, um, my musical with, a, with a few of my friends, musical, the musical, and we put on a show in October, uh, socially distanced and we're doing another one in May. Um, and, uh, and I also wrote another musical, um, an adaptation of Shakespeare's 12th night last June for a, um, uh, play a 30 day play writing challenge. Um, but then, then a big thing that I really focused on during this time is, uh, singing and developing my singing voice better because I've always loved musical theater, always done it and never really focused on singing. Um, and now I've been, uh, taking online lessons, which is very strange and, um, yeah, just focusing on becoming a better singer. And it's been really nice to have this time where I don't have as much of the pressure of auditioning and performing, and I can just take the time to develop that for myself. Yeah, online lessons sounds really weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these all sound great, by the way. Um, something that I've picked up um, one day, well, so, okay, I've really wanted a cricket for a long time. And then um, Christmas happened. I celebrate Christmas and 
Um, my wife surprised me with a cricket bundle. And so I was super excited. I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to start cricketing now. I don't even know if that's a term, but yeah. Um, and had no clue what I was doing. So I started watching all these blogs of like crafters. And I realized this, like the cricket world is wild. Like there are very serious people in the cricket world who make so much money off of um, crafting and are excellent resources and really thrive off of engaging and doing this crafting. Um, and so then I got a little uh, ahead of myself and I bought, so there's like a cricket machine that you can cut things with. And then there is um, a cricket easy press is what it's called. And it's like essentially this giant iron with like a bunch of different settings that you can make like shirts and um, different things to like put different prints and um, uh, heat like iron, like iron on um, vinyl rather. Um, so you can make like custom t-shirts and things like that. And I was like, I'm going to get all this stuff and I'm going to do it. And like, I really like, I haven't even opened up the easy press because I was like one thing at a time. I can successfully say, um, or confidently say rather that I can successfully operate my cricket um, now. And it became such a great hobby of mine that I opened up an Etsy shop. Um, shameless plug. Um, it's called Fueled by Resistance. And I came up with this whole, you know, like business model and I make custom Starbucks cups. Um and like people from all over the United States, I shouldn't say all over the United States because I've had three orders, but people from different parts of the United States have just like randomly bought some of my cups that I've made. And it's been really exciting. And I got cool little business cards and I made myself a logo and I got all this cool packaging and really created a brand for myself. So that's been really fun and interesting to, to do. Um... If you want to start an Etsy shop, I would definitely recommend like YouTubing it beforehand because it's a lot of work. Um, but yeah, it's, it's become something that I really enjoy, something that I do on the weekends to relax. Um, and it's great because it's kind of like Photoshop in the sense that, you know, you use the design space to design whatever thing you want um, and then you cut it out and layer it and it comes out really great. So yeah, super satisfying. That's amazing. Jenica, what is cricket? Because I totally thought you were talking about like raising actual <laughs> crickets when you started talking. I know. I have to clarify because folks like ask me that all the time. Um, no, so it's like a cutting machine and essentially you you can use a bunch of different products with it. Um but uh, like a lot of folks use it to cut vinyl, like permanent or removable vinyl. Um, they come in sheets or in rolls of vinyl and then you um, make the design and then you have to like put them on the sticky mat and then put them into the Cricut machine. And then it uses like a little blade and a laser to like cut out your design. It's really, really neat. Um, but you can make so many things with it. Um, and I just landed on customizable Starbucks cups and... My most recent one is a throwback 
um, and I made a Rugrats cup and it came out really, really good. I was super proud of myself. So, yeah. Jenica, okay. you're definitely going to have to teach me how to uh, make stickers and such. Yes, cause... I will totally. I should do a Cricut Paideia next year. Definitely, because <laughs> I've been making like a lot of like merch art or at least art with the intention that one day it will become like a t-shirt or a sticker. Um, and, you know, it's been on my mind to start enterprising like that with my art. So that sounds fun. Yeah, let's collab. I can tell you all that I know and all that I've learned so far, for sure. Jenic, I'll do the I'll do the padeo with you. Okay, yeah, I'm down. Jenica, can you repeat your shop? <laughs> yeah, it's called Fueled by Resistance. Ah, okay, okay, okay. I'm sure often I'll link it in the episode notes at the bottom of the page. Oh, please do. <laughs> Making a note of that right now. Yeah, but Paideia 2022, cricket, cricket for beginners. <laughs> and uh, if we're doing shameless plugs, I'll be in your uh, uh, your Paideia so I can start making merch for my uh, uh, Twitter account, uh, Ursiku, where I post my art. Love that. Fantastic. So, so I'll jump in since I've been a little quiet here for a while. Sorry, the little tech issues. Um, I also I got my my wife and uh, daughter in uh, into Minecraft this pandemic. So one of our little joys was we had two realms going Lua at the same time um, because one world wasn't enough. We had to have a creative and a survival world. Um, and I think you are a were... great person for that. I just want to clarify that's the best decision I've heard anyone make. <laughs> yeah, I'm your number one fan right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, so we, we've been doing that a lot. And um, they, my family got me a, a phonograph for Christmas. And um, so a new habit that we've established since then has been my wife and I uh, is trying to have every, trying to have every day an hour where we just take one album and we just sort of have quiet and the lights go down and it's sort of like the chill out reset time like when I'm done with work before we have to think about dinner or anything like that so we have like a music hour where we just kind of veg and enjoy um and it's spread out from vinyl to now it's my wife's like a complete spotify addict going nuts with that but um and we've completely rewired our whole living room to make it be the optimal audio experience so that's been another one of our little hobbies over the last year so what you're saying is we should record the podcast in your living room no i'm not saying this about recording it's i'm not talking about the acoustics i'm talking about the number of speakers and surround sounds that wouldn't help with a recording that would only help with listening we should come and all listen to the podcast together yes podcast premiere tom's place post pandemic <laughs> all right um so keeping an eye on the time amongst other things um i think that's a good spot to put a wrap on the podcast so i just want to say thank you to everyone uh, for signing up to talk about this very weighty subject and finding some humor in that and also joining me for a bit of reflection on the past year um, I know that we have all had challenges, and, but I think the one big thing this has underscored for me is that PBPA is really a heck of a community through the thick and thin. And I think this 
pandemic has definitely been the, the thickest of all challenges. So thank you guys uh, once again. And to close out the show, why don't we all say goodbye together? So everyone, un- unmute yourself. and Goodbye. Bye. 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 Goodbye. Bye. Thanks, Austin. Thank you. My final message. Goodbye. God dang it, Hosea, that was perfect. And with that, it is time to hit the button on our outro music and shout out those artists who have made this possible. The logo design is by Jasper Dearborn, and the music is by Emilio Pereira Tosado and Patrick Conway. A special thank you to the whole PVPA community for supporting this project and being amazing artists. We look forward to hearing your questions.